Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome to Thank You, Saturn, with me, Fern Angel Beatty. Thank You, Saturn is a fortnightly podcast on the lesser-discussed topic of the quarter-life crisis. Saturn is the teacher planet, taking on average 30 years to orbit planet Earth. By the time it arrives back to the position it was in when we were born, we are expected to have learned important lessons from the first quarter of our life and be on our intended path. If we are not, this age can be difficult, as Saturn forces us to confront our fears, uprooting our lives in a myriad of ways to push us in the right direction. This is not punishment, but tough love. So if we heed its warnings, once it's off on its galactic trajectory once more, we can finally say, thank you, Saturn. I'll take a look at our guests' birth charts to see whereabouts their Saturn is placed and compare the predictions of this placement to our guests' reality. Katie Love is a writer and author of The Furies, published in 2019 by HarperCollins in the UK and Australia and Macmillan in the US, followed by a further eight languages in translation. The Furies is Katie's debut novel, a harrowing page-turner set in the 90s about a teenage girl desperately trying to fit in with her new friends at school, the secret club she consequently finds herself a member of, and the danger and potential violence this leads to. Katie's currently studying for a PhD on female rage in literary modernism and contemporary women's writing at the University of Birmingham, and her second novel, Possession, is due out in 2021. So, Katie, how are you and how are you finding lockdown? <laughs> Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. I'm kind of, I have to say, I'm quite enjoying lockdown. I never thought I'd get into gardening, so, um, so I'm having quite a lot of fun, you know, getting into making, making things grow, which is something I've never managed to achieve to you know before <laughs> I mean they're, they're very they've got three roses um they're all falling over already I'm not doing a very good job of it but I managed to keep anything alive ever so this is progress <laughs> congrats I've been doing the same with, with, um, with baking I've never baked before and then I've just gone nuts god it's so funny isn't it it's weird having all this time <laughs> I know um, and during the lockdown I read your book The Furies and I found myself reading a lot of non-fiction and memoir lately um so to completely immerse myself in another world for the first time in a long time was a welcome escape particularly yeah. during these times <laughs> um, and I got a lot of the craft vibes which I, I've also read other people have said <laughs> slash Harry Potter at times and was so swept up in the idea of like an immersive magical interaction that mm-hmm. I kept assuming Violet was a boarder and was frequently surprised that like, every time she returned home to her mother I was like oh yeah so she doesn't actually live at the school. So many people have said that and I, I think it's weird because I strayed away from the boarding school thing only because I'd you know, I'd never experienced a boarding school myself. And also I thought, you know, Harry Potter, that's been done. You know, the, the comparison would be too obvious. Yep. <laughs> so um, what prompted you to write The Furies in the first place? 
Um, I mean, I, so I'd written, I'd spent the last three years before The Furies writing a really, really bad literary novel that will never see the light of day. Um, so before that, I'd never, I'd never thought of writing fiction. Um, and then this idea, it was one of those where it came um, sort of fully formed, which, you know, I, I had, um, I had that first scene with the girl on the swing um, that happened sort of on its own. And then I was just like, oh, you know, I want, I want to do something with teenagers getting into trouble. I'd read a lot about, um, there's a there's a piece of work that came out in the um, 1800s by this guy called Walter Pater, um, and he was an academic. You know, he was all into sort of aestheticism in art, um, and it got pilloried because people were saying, you know, if people get too you know emotionally attached to art, um, you know, they'll all end up corrupted and messed up. And <laughs> think of the children. <laughs> so I was just I was I was obsessed with this idea of what would be the worst that could happen, you know, by exposing teenagers to, to too much art um and that was you know that was kind of where the furies came out of but you know it was it was I was really lucky because the characters you know they came together so easily for this and you know I had the setting in mind the the, the school is a very clear knockoff of the University of Birmingham campus if you've ever been there. I haven't I haven't so in terms <laughs> of the actual building structure yeah 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 the big clock tower the the domes on the great hall there's even like the mermaid statue but yeah you know I um I wanted to you know I I had a great time when I was a, an undergrad um and I I wanted to I mean I know they're, they're sixth formers but I kind of wanted to you know go back to that and revisit it a little bit it's quite rare for um you say that the idea of the girl on the swing came to you fully formed my friend he's a music producer and i think he co-wrote that paloma faith song that um stone cold sober and he said the bit where it goes just came to him in the shower one day when he was was there it's so funny isn't it i think you don't get that very often you know i'm just um my second book is coming out in um january next year in the states and um it was the complete opposite experience, you know. <laughs> a lot of it was like pulling teeth. <laughs> oh, really? But, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, speaking to other writers, you tend to get some books that come like that where, you know, you do get that kind of, you know, that that very lucky lightning strike thing. Um, and then others, you know, you have to kind of put in a little bit more effort. Um, you know, a little <laughs> more, <laughs> more graft. But... You know, each, I think each one's a join us in a different way, but the Furies was, I have to say, a real pleasure to write. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. So I, I'm a writer too, and I'm interested in um, how, what your process was, like in terms of how, how long it took you to write the book overall, but also was it one thing you focused on or did, were you studying at the time? Did you have a break? Were you working? How did you juggle writing and living, as it were? Well, I, so I was working, um, I used to work for an events agency, um, which was, uh, you know, an, a really, really cool job, but it was very, very demanding. Um, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd go through phases where I had like a 70 hour week and then I'd, you know, that would happen for weeks on end. Um, and so I had to, I had to kind of roll with the punches a little bit with that. Um, but the, the patch where I was writing the Furies, um, that it was only about seven, eight months. Um, wow. Weirdly enough, that that connects perfectly with what we're going to talk about. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I uh, I was very, very strict with my weekends. Um, I 
didn't make any social plans. Um, you know, I kind of, I locked myself in, especially, you know, Sundays were, were especially my writing day. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything except, you know, stay in my, my pajamas and write. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd get up at five in the morning and write if I had to. Um, I was traveling a lot for work. Um, so I remember one day um, being in a, you know, the boarding queue at Aberdeen Airport, scribbling in a notepad, trying to, you know, trying to get this idea written down before I, um, before I had to, you know, put everything away. And then, um, it was it was very much a case of kind of as and when but also trying to give myself a little bit of routine yeah um, just for my sanity if nothing else I think I would have gone mad <laughs> yeah I hear that's that's the difficult part because now like being in lockdown I was I was like right this is the time where I can finish my book and I find that I actually <laughs> write better at night because I get FOMO if I'm awake I'm like what's yeah. everyone else doing so I'll write mm-hmm. dead of night and then um, until five in the morning and then I'll sleep until one and then I can't start again until the next night and actually have yeah. a concentration. I, I admire your discipline to get that done. Cause. It's really difficult because I think, you know, especially if you're, I think one of the things that was good for me with that job was that I had such a routine with the, you know, with the work day um, that it kind of forced me to be disciplined on my days off as well. Whereas I think since I've gone, you know, I've been a full sort of quote unquote full-time writer now since, um, I, it was about a year ago I, I left my job mm-hmm. um, and it was so hard at first I didn't know what to do with myself you know I had all this time um, yeah and I wasted so much of it because I was just like oh well you know I'll write I'll write later you know I've got to I've just got to read this book and I've just got to <laughs> yeah. you know got to do this other uh, completely unimportant thing and I, you know and I've had to I've had to work really hard to kind of force some discipline back on myself um one thing that I'm quite lucky with now is that my sister, um, I live with my sister. Um, she moved in with me last year and um, she works nine to five. <laughs> right. So that's kind of pushed a nine to five back on me because, you know, she gets up in the morning, she wakes me up, we have coffee together and then she goes off to work. And obviously now she's working from home, but it still means that there's certain hours of the day where I know I really ought to be at my desk just out of solidarity if nothing else yeah <laughs> someone to hold you accountable I think yeah, that's, that's yeah. ideal because you you must forget like oh yeah actually this isn't a holiday I'm no. uh, this is my <laughs> job what, once your book came out I mean your world must have changed it's like now I am quote unquote an actual writer like you mm-hmm. it's kind of you get that that almost ego boost which writers don't some writers don't really feel they are writers until they have the external validation how did that affect you where you were suddenly like, wow, I've actually got what I worked for? You know, it was, I, I went so far off the deep end. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I managed to convince myself overnight that I was a massive fraud, that the Furies was, you know, a huge fluke and I'd never be able to recreate it. And I had this, you know, long dark, dark night of the soul patch where I just thought, you know, I've, I've fooled everyone and I don't deserve this. <laughs> oh, bless you. you know? And I think part of that was because I had, you know, I sold the book um about 18 months before it was published so I had this very long patch where I wasn't really doing anything um except waiting for the book to come out Mm. Um, and it's really bizarre the publishing process because there are patches where it's so busy um you know and it's like look at this cover and um your copy edits back and here are the page proofs and there's so much to do and then there's months where you just don't have to do anything and um I think uh, coming from the events world where everything's, you know, super, super fast and super busy all the time, 
those quiet patches where I didn't have to do anything, I thought I was doing something wrong. <laughs> oh, bless you. you know, I was like, oh God, I've made it, I've, I've, I've upset someone or I've done something terrible. So they dropped me and they haven't even remembered yeah, to tell me. Exactly, exactly. They've, you know, they've just, they've, they've discovered that I'm the worst because I, you know, I didn't <laughs> put like uh, a kiss on the end of my last email or something. <laughs> so just like massive overthinking. Um, but, you know, I mean, luckily I have uh, my agent, Juliet Mushens, she is um, amazing. And she, she, I think she's been through this with other authors. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, she's, she's very much, um, she's, she's quite kind of good at connecting people with other people. So. Right. She's <laughs> funny. I follow her on Twitter and she's funny as well. She's, she's even more hilarious in real life. <laughs> She just cracks me up. I mean, I see her, um, I mean, I've seen her for a while now, obviously, because of her. It's yeah. a lot but every time you we do have keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> yes, loads of trouble now. But, um, <laughs> no, like, I never, I, I, I very rarely go into her office and don't leave kind of cheered up and, you know, laughing. I mean, I always. Um, <laughs> so she's, you know, she's a real, she's a real delight. And it's, she's been you know i remember sending her an email last year and just being like i can't do it i'm freaking out like i'm this book is terrible you know it's a new book that i was working on um and she gave me what for you know she was like you're being an idiot but like yeah. in the nicest tough love way ever so i think you know i kind of I, I i i'm glad i'm very glad to have her <laughs> katie your your actual star sign is a sagittarius yes <laughs> and your saturn happens to be in sagittarius as well Okay. <laughs> and your Saturn is also in the third house. Amazing. The fir your first Saturn return was on January 2017 to October 2017. Uh -huh. So pretty much the whole of 2017. Yeah. <laughs> so what was going on in your life at that moment? And would you say that was a period that you found particularly challenging? So it's, it's a weird period for me because I started the Furies in January 2017. Wow. <laughs> Had that, you know, sudden moment of, oh God, you know, there's the girl on the swing thing. What am I going to do with it? Um, and it sold on the 28th of September here um, and the 11th of October in the States. Wow. <laughs> so it was, um, it was really, you know, when I saw those dates, I was like, God, how bizarre. Like that's, that's you know, it's, it's almost, it's almost too perfect. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think it's, that's got to be something to do with it. You know, I mean, I, so much stuff has come out of that beyond the book. It's, you know, the PhD topic that I'm doing has come out of all the research that I did in that period. I left my job as a result of the stuff that I did in that period. You know, I, it was a patch for me where I realized what it was that I wanted out of, out of my life. And my life at that point wasn't delivering it. So. Right. And the book helped you, I guess, delve into that and explore it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I kind of had bloody minded determination in January 2017 that I wasn't going to carry on as I had been. <laughs> from in hindsight, you mm. could say from January to October, you had the most successful Saturn return ever because yeah. you got a book published out of it. I mean, come on, it's almost ridiculous. But then yeah. I guess the actual emotional side of it because writing is it Ernest Hemingway I think who says like writing is easy all you need to do is sit down and bleed basically mm -hmm, yeah. but you do a lot of dredging up of stuff that's in you so yeah. what, what kind of things came out for you during that time well the, the weird thing about the Furies was I um in so just before just before this um so sort of you know we're talking November December the year before um I I was doing a campaign in my old job um, and it was, you know, without a doubt, the most stressful 
um, campaign I've ever done. You know, I was doing, I was replying to emails at two in the morning. I was, uh, you know, I was attached to my phone all the time. And I got to a point at the very end of December, I remember being on a train and writing, something needs to change. Like I can't, I am going to go insane. I'm going to jump off a bridge if I keep doing this. I can't, you know, I can't keep this up. Um, so the 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 whole of this period was almost like recalibrating how I was going to live my life. You know, I had to, I I had to go, I can't be on my phone all the time um, mm-hmm. or I'm not going to do the things that I want to achieve, you know, because I was at the end of December fundamentally just so unfulfilled. You know, I was um, nothing in my life had panned out how I wanted it to, except for the fact that I was getting all this kind of praise from my job, which was, you know, sort of slightly hollow, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> you feel like you, you know, you, you want to, you don't want to, you know, if I die tomorrow, um, the fact that I, I did a really good job on this one campaign that no one's going to remember is <laughs> probably not my <laughs> finest achievement, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I had to, it was really hard the period where I was writing this book because I had to push back so much on so many of the old habits that I'd had, you know, um, uh, not being available all the time. Um, not um uh you know responding to everything immediately and also during that period I was having a really bad bad time with my health <laughs> um, uh-huh. so I um I have this thing called um syringomyelia um it's basically it means you've got cysts on your spinal cord oh yes um, I've heard of that yeah and it's um it it comes and goes you know so patches i will be absolutely fine not a problem jogging around doing yoga everything um and then other patches i will have chronic migraines um you know sort of half the month will be i've got a migraine um i won't you know i won't be able to walk quite so well i have pains in my hands and my feet um and this patch was a real bad flare-up so again you know it was that how do I find this kind of creative fulfillment when I'm pushing back against my body not working with me? Um, my job not necessarily working with me. Um, you know, how am I going to kind of protect this thing that I really want to do? So, you know, it was, it was amazing that the book came fully formed and, you know, was as, as much of a joy to write as it was. Um, but it was one of those things where in hindsight, you know, I think I, I had to, push really hard through that period to actually get it done you know yeah um and it was such a big change so I am um, you know I, I do look back and think god that was that was a really intense period in my life it was definitely <laughs> do you see it as kind of like a uh before Christ Anno Domini thing where you, mm-hmm. you see yourself as like two different people almost since before you wrote the book and after it was published where there are certain things that you would never go back to do or you would never um put yourself through again or never settle for yeah totally i mean i i i i still freelance for the company that i work for and i i the thing was i loved that job you know i loved doing it like i had great i had four and a half thousand staff and a lot of them were like promo people so um you know actors dancers teachers kind of you know there was so much fun and i really really loved it and so i still freelance for it but i wouldn't i attached so much of my identity to that job um you know and I I attached a lot of my identity to a lot of things that weren't making me happy um whereas afterwards you know the main thing that I find makes me happy now is just peace you know so Mm -hmm. I I don't have my phone on me most of the time um you know I and nobody calls me anyway because I'm really boring but (laughs) I don't I, I I I leave my phone on charge a lot of the day um I 
I try not to get caught up in things. You know, I'm writing about um, anger at the moment in this in this PhD. Um, and a lot of that has come out of me sort of finding myself detached from, you know, all the things that I used to do. I used to spend so much time on Twitter arguing with people. Right. <laughs> you know, and I think, like, I, I can understand how that can become a thing that you just do because you want to make a change, you know, and I think there's so much good stuff has come out of that. But at the same time, so, uh, there are a lot of people on there who will engage you in an argument for the sake of engaging you in an argument. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, I don't, I don't like to let those people have my time. You know, I think uh, sort of in a way, like, you know, having that really bad patch of my health and stuff then, I think life's, life's way too short for that, you know? <laughs> and on the, um, on the subject of rage, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it when you were writing about, it in the furies um or and that made you think actually i want to know more about this in in real life or vice versa because it's obviously something you feel very passionate about yeah it kind of it was it was almost chicken and egg um because i was writing about um you know i was writing about these pieces of art um you know so things like um the judith saying holofernes you know whether she's chopping off the the guy's head and she looks so angry you know things like that i i was really interested in those as a as a structuring concept for the book um but one thing that the the way I find myself going into the PhD was um, the the US. So it's a bit of a weird one, actually. The US auction for the Furies happened on the same day that the Harvey Weinstein allegations came out. Wow! Um, which was really bizarre because you know I've there's a section in the Furies um, where there's a sexual assault, um, and she kind of doesn't you know she says that it's it's banal, um, you know she sort of accepts that it's just something that happens to everyone. Um, but they have this outsized reaction to it still, you know, so it's that, um, it's that kind of balance of, you know, having all this anger, but also accepting that it just happens to everyone all the time. Sure. That, yeah. you know, that's such a, that's a me too thing. Um, but what I found so interesting about um, the reaction to the Harvey Weinstein allegations and the me too movement was that um, a lot of men <laughs> in particular were saying that women were only now angry. You know, women just got angry. Um, yeah. and it's because of Trump um, and because of Brexit and because of Harvey Weinstein that, that women are angry. And I thought, you know, I was writing my book way before Me Too. Um, I was reading women's anger in pretty much every book that I was reading, just, just not through any kind of dedicated campaign to find angry women. It was just I, every book I seemed to find in 2016 had an angry woman in it yeah <laughs> and you can go back as far as you know a room of one's own if you read it with a mind to find you know to to listen out for for virginia wolf expressing frustration and anger in there it's there you know so my my thesis there and you know the argument that i'm trying to make in this in this um in this thesis is that we we do women a disservice if we just assume that they're only angry now. Um, or we're, That's the thing, isn't it? It's like now <laughs> yeah. now you're being forced to listen. Yeah, Before, you just yeah. weren't listening. You were blinkered. Totally, and also I think you know it's so often misread. You know, I mean, I, I know I'm not the only person who cries when they're angry. You know, and but like women's tears are always read as sadness, and it's like these things I think need to be kind of recontextualized a little bit um, almost so that people can actually, you know, sort of put, put the big red arrow there to point out the anger <laughs> for the people that aren't seeing it, you know, or are misreading it as sadness or, you yeah. know. And I mean, the way women's anger is portrayed isn't always direct anger. Like even in your book, so Robin has more of that direct ang angst about her, but, but then Violet, she's quite, 
calm throughout the book and a lot of her thought processes you might not interpret as anger straight away but obviously she's got anger about what's happened to her family her relationship mm-hmm. with her mum how she doesn't fit in at school but she yeah. she it's not until a lot later in the book that it starts to actually manifest like that so it doesn't necessarily mean women are shouting or screaming in the ways that it would be deemed obvious by men totally and it's a very you know those are all kind of very sort of quote-unquote masculine forms of anger you know so it's almost we're used to reading you know, anger as being a thing that men do um, and men get respectful. Whereas, you know, women, like the amount of times, again, in my old job where like I would, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people who would get angry in front of, you know, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I'd be very aware that, you know, if I got angry at work, I'd be treading the line between, uh, you know, being reasonable and being a bitch. Um, mm-hmm. but certainly if I did get angry, um, I would be a bitch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you kind of, you know, you, you, you're, you're aware of those things as a woman, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, not just as a woman, obviously it's different, you know, it's different um, for, you know, for women of colour um, and, you know, for people from very, various different backgrounds, there's, there's, you know, there's levels to it. But, um, you know, obviously <laughs> I only have 80,000 words to write in my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to, I have to kind of draw the line somewhere. But, um, you know, it, I think it's fascinating. I think, you know, anger is one of those things where it's so, it's so potent um, and I think, you know, we get so used to not talking about it and not seeing it that sometimes we don't even realise when we're angry. Sure. Um, and that for me is, you know, something I'm, <laughs> I'm really interested in. So do you have a personal attachment to the feeling of anger? And did, obviously we all do, but I mean, what is, is it something, is it an emotion that particularly resonates with you? And do you feel like when you wrote the book that you might have purged some of that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, so I, with the health stuff for me, that's been something I've really struggled with because I used to, um, I used to have a health blog. Um, you know, I used to, I used to be really into my fitness at one point, you know, I used to love, um, you know, I, I, I used to love yoga, running, you know, whatever I, you name it, I did it. Um, and then when my health started to go, I found myself so angry at myself, you know, yeah. <laughs> obviously, obviously that can't be helped. Um, but it took me a very long time to work, to work my way through it because at that point I'd attached so much importance to my ability to be, you know, a fit and healthy person. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd attached so much of my kind of myself to, to my health. Um, that I couldn't quite work out what I was anymore. <laughs> once that mm-hmm. went. Um, and so writing, you know, for me was, it's something I've always done, but deciding to write um, a book, of, you know, that wasn't necessarily, you know, I didn't set out to write a book about anger, but I realized at the end of it that I had very much written, mm. <laughs> written angry. I mean, it wasn't called The Furies when it went on, when I submitted it to, to Julia. Um, she called it that. Um, and, you know, when it, when it was first getting readers, it was like, oh God, it's so angry. And I hadn't, you know, I hadn't sat, you know, I hadn't sat there and been like, I'm going to write a book about rage. It was only after when I was kind of <laughs> showing it to other people that I was like, oh God, you know, I'm actually quite angry and I didn't even know it. So. Isn't that interesting? Yes. The, the stuff that goes on is in our subconscious. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially during the Saturn return. It's like your lesson was to learn that you had a lot of anger because mm-hmm. you weren't necessarily on the right path or you hadn't accepted certain things or you hadn't changed the things you could or accepted the things you couldn't Mm. and that you hadn't been on your path you weren't 
quitting your job to become a writer because understandably there was too much um security and you actually enjoyed the job I had a similar thing so much of my, my friendship group were there I loved it and but I just knew it wasn't the job for me but at the same time I didn't yeah. want to leave and also yeah, yeah, yeah. the steady uh the routine pay like every month but it was almost like you were f- you were confronted with health issues mm-hmm. to force you to think actually what can I do to make myself feel better or or fuck it basically let me just yeah. do what I'm <laughs> what I, what I'm going to enjoy doing because it seems like my body's betraying me anyway. Mm. Um, for me, that was a breakup. I actually broke up with my partner and regretted it. And it was too, oh, no. I was like, <laughs> I'm leaving this job. Cause I was sick of like having my heart broken over and over again and going back to the same office chair that really got to me. I was like, I'm just leaving groundhog day. <laughs> I was like, Fuck it. Uh, this has gone wrong. I'm going to throw everything in the fire. Um, quit my job, moved out. And then I was like, I've got no money. And, <laughs> and then just started writing as a way to kind of piece together what had gone wrong in my life, almost like Tetris blocks to try and figure out where I'm going wrong. And through that, I purged a lot. And the same way you, you discovered loads of anger that, that you had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so bizarre how you don't realise quite what you're doing until it, you know, until it is done. I think, you know, I used to, I used to write nonfiction and, um, you know, not, not not very successfully but I used to you know I used to write almost for my own um for just for my own sanity more than anything else and it's funny how you look back and you go oh, I see what I meant there you know I kind of yeah. <laughs> I wrote one thing but I definitely meant something meant else. another yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know I didn't I didn't get that quite at the time but I you know I can kind of follow the follow the line back there you know I think it's it's writing for me is such a good way of figuring out those things that you haven't quite pieced together you know it's yeah. Cheaper than therapy, but it does pretty much the same thing. Exactly. (laughs) When Saturn is in Sagittarius, it adds a sandbag to the usual Sagittarian balloon-like personality. Sagittarius is ruled by lucky, abundant Jupiter, and Jupiter is happy and expansive, fun and lively. When Saturn is in this sign, however, it's not just gloom that occasionally results, but downright despair, and it takes that beautiful Sagittarius optimism and stomps on it. You must learn to temper your pessimism with sweet vision, to soften your realism with belief in magic and that good things happen and good people exist. Even though life is not a dream, it's not always a nightmare either. Sagittarius is often accused of being excessive or indulgent with food and drink and good times, and Saturn in Sagittarius can go to the opposite extreme, self-denial. Your lust for life is set too low, no adventure, no open road. Saturn in Sagittarius hides the truth instead of telling it. The truth is that the world is good and bad, heavy and light, physical and spiritual. But Saturn in Sagittarius will err on the side of sombre sobriety until they learn to tell a different story and become that buoyant balloon. Do you find it difficult to tell the truth about your true needs and feelings? Oh my God, yeah, I'm the worst. Mm -hmm. Absolutely the worst. Uh, Part of the reason I got so in the hole about the new book um, is because I went, um, I'm going to say a full year, um, where Juliet would check in and how she's my editor would check in and they'd be like how's the new book going and I'd be like it's great (laughs) brilliant you know and like actually I'm just kind of you know uh taking up smoking crying again you know like this current output um and then eventually I did you know ask for help um and I I got it and it was fine (laughs) it's actually worked out brilliantly um but that for me is such a pattern you know I mean I've said to my I said to my sister I always feel like I describe bad patches in my life in the past tense you know I never seem to have told anyone oh god I'm going through a really bad patch oh my god you got me 
right i was talking about this yesterday carry on i'll tell you why after that's that yeah exactly yeah it's so bizarre isn't it and i think it's one of those things where you know it's destructive you know like you know if you just told someone you'd probably get get the sympathy you needed um and the help that you needed and you know everything would be fine but for some reason you just can't quite do it um, yeah so, what, why do you think that is do you think it's a pride thing I think sometimes when I'm feeling when I'm feeling mean, I think it's a pride thing. Um, but I, I think also like there's a certain amount of I don't want to. I almost don't want to be a pain in the ass, you know. I don't want to. Like I know my friends would help me, and I know my family would help me. Like I know every, every, anyone I asked would be willing to help, but I almost just don't want to. I don't want to put people in a position where they're like, oh god, like I haven't got time for this. I don't know what to do. How do you know what can I possibly do to help? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know it's it's a it's a difficult one but there is you know there is also a certain amount of you know pride in there like i i i find it i imagine how people hear it when i say that i'm struggling with writing um you know when i <laughs> when i got paid a, you know a lot of money to write this book um, you know yeah. and i'm living a lot of people's dream you know and i know exactly how that sounds like i would punch me if i were listening to that so you know there's, there's a certain amount of that yeah <laughs> well you know you don't want to be you don't want to be that asshole but at the same time you know there's uh, sometimes you just are that asshole and it can't be helped <laughs> <laughs> yeah when i am um... When I went through my period of depression, no one knew until mm. I was over it. And it, it lasted the best part of a year. I didn't get out of bed for three months. And then when I, when I told someone about it, it was like, oh, that had happened. And then suddenly I've, I've written, I tend to write a lot when I'm mm. unhappy or depressed. I just let everything out on paper. And then I'll come out fine with a new book talking about like <laughs> how depressed I was. And my friends are like, I don't remember any of that. It's like, yeah, I didn't actually tell you. I can text. I can be very deceiving over texts as well. Like, hey, follow yeah. you when you're crying in bed. Like, oh my god, absolutely. And that's the that's the nightmare I think nowadays about um about phones and you know the way that the way that we communicate now. So much of it is written down. Yeah, um, and it's so easy to lie. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I I find that you know almost too easy to do. Um, it's uh, especially when I was when I was living in London. Um, that was the patch where I found I struggled the most. Um which was weird because, you know, I was living in a house with four other people. Um, you know, I, I had probably face-to-face contact with more people then than I've had ever since, you know, yeah. but um, I felt very lonely um, and, you know, very, very sort of sad, you know, patches of that. And I, I, I really, really struggled with that. And I think, you know, I, nobody would have known at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and then afterwards, you know, I, I came back from it and I was like, God, I was really depressed, you know, yeah. <laughs> I just didn't realize because I was too busy going, you know, just kind of going to work and trying to, you know, trying to get out. Of, I mean, at the weekends, I would just lie in bed and eat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, you're right. That's the room. Just uh, lie there, you know? Yeah. People can, sometimes it's almost like you want someone to look in your face and be like, no, you're lying. You're not okay. Yeah. 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 And I think if you're, if you're wired that way, you won't. You won't tell anyone unless someone makes you do that. Yeah. Would you say that over time or perhaps through lessons you learned during your Saturn return that you've let go of this emotional and mental weight that the, the passage I just read seems to imply you have and become more lighthearted with your overall perspective? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like the, the, the validation thing of, you know, having a book published, like that, that takes away a lot of the... Um, you know, should I even be bothering thing of writing? You know, that's, that's that like that lifted a lot of weight. But 
also, you know, I, I am now sort of at peace with the, the fact that my, you know, my health is going to be flaky. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes things just aren't going to go the way I want them to and I can't force it. There's nothing I can do. Um, so accepting that and moving on and, you know, just, just living, living the good days, you know, out in the sun almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the, the bad days just kind of rolling with them. You know, I, I probably spend maybe one or two days a week now, even now, like in bed. Um, and I'm not, you know, it's just, it's just a, a health thing that I have to deal with, but I'm yeah. getting better at making it nice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Not Self-care, a reset. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, that was something I had to, I had to learn then definitely. I think, uh, like you said, scheduling it in makes it seem like something you've, you've planned all along and not a failure. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And, you know, just, just thinking like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to beat myself up for this because I'm just wasting more time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's that productivity <laughs> obsession that we all yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I lie here and I, I, you know, I spend this day sort of beating, beating myself up. Um, that's a day that I, you know, all I can say that I achieved out of that was beating myself up. Whereas, you know, okay, I've got to lie in the dark. I can't do anything right now. But, you know, maybe I can think about like what maybe might I write for my next book? You mm-hmm. know, like what, what, how can I connect these couple of ideas that I'm working on in my PhD that I haven't had the time to think about properly yet? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. It's almost just making the best of a very, very bad situation. You must learn to broaden your horizons and seek experience. One way to do this is to travel, to explore other countries. You must leave home and get to know other cultures and customs and people around the world or even in your own community. To leave home is to leave safety. You must wander and roam. You must see your face in the faces of others in strange places. You are more than just practical and serious and sober. You are glass three quarters empty and you often miss the wonder and beauty of animals and nature because you're too busy working, head buried under papers. You work overtime, and for what? It's not about the money. You must play, not just work. You must pray, not just worry. Many Sagittarius are risk-taking partygoers thirsty for fun, but this jovial, horsey spirit is dormant in you. Learn adventure, learn the world. Travel for you shouldn't be a hobby, but a way of life. So this is obviously written pre-Saturn return. It's uh, your challenge during the Saturn return. Would you say that this is something that you dealt with and have overcome? Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> the first the first thing that I did when I got my advance was start booking holidays and I yes. did going places that I'd not been before. So I think, you know, I did my I did one set of edits in Florence, you know, I did another set in Morocco. Like I, oh, I that was like, sounds like the ideal life. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. You know, and I like now I'm like, oh god, I've like run out of money. I'm gonna have to stay home forever now. <laughs> You'll always remember that, though. Exactly. Like, I don't regret it. And obviously, one of the things is now my, you know, my health has gotten worse over the years. So, like, I'm glad I did it when I could. But I, you know, I'm so glad I did that because I used to... So, one one thing that I, I found during that period of um, Saturn Return was I, um, because of my because of my illness, I still hadn't quite kind of figured out how to get medicated properly and things like that was... Um, I had horrendous travel sickness, which is oh, God. the most bizarre symptom, but it's, you know, it's, it's something to do with, you know, this, this pressing down your spinal cord, you know, you just get really bad nausea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were patches where I just couldn't even get the tube to work. Um, and then I think it was the August of that year, I went to my doctor and I was like, this is ridiculous. I can't do this. And I managed to, I pressed really hard. I got much better medication. And so then I was like, right, I'm going to go and explore, you know, I'm going <laughs> to see the world. And so, 
it's been you know practically much easier to um you know to kind of get out and see things and now you know i miss it's one of the things about lockdown that i am not enjoying is <laughs> not being able to go out and you know enjoy enjoy just seeing people and different faces and things especially in this weather i mean i've oh never wanted a holiday more yeah oh my god yeah i mean we got we got really lucky actually we booked a last minute holiday to marrakesh just before coronavirus kicked off no way um so we we landed in gatwick i think we landed on the 16th of march uh-huh. uh, lockdown started on the 23rd of march so luckily i've managed to like squeeze in <laughs> you seem to be quite um fortunate with dates i've noticed like oh things God. happen very serendipitously yeah do you know we've always said that before about things like i seem to i do seem to have a, quite a lot of luck in terms of timing things yeah so unlucky with some things but very very blessed in others <laughs> <laughs> and um arguably as a writer you get to travel different places in your head i guess that's a mm. that would you consider that a worthy substitute yeah, I mean, that's something, that's actually something that's come out of lockdown. I'm, you know, I've obviously, I've, uh, the last book went to my publishers in, you see, end of January, I sent it across. Um, and so then obviously I was like, oh, now what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could write literally anything right now. And so um, this, the book that I'm working on now, which, you know, isn't coming out, it well, hasn't, I've got about 10,000 words of it. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, it's the first one I've done that's not set in the UK. Um, so it's, it's, that was a direct result of thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be staying home for a very long time. Yeah, I'll let my mind go on holiday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm quite, you know, I'm quite looking forward to, to, to making the most of that. And obviously, you know, hopefully I will get to, get to go and visit the place that, I, um, that I'm writing about in the name of research. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, I'm not optimistic that that will be any time soon. <laughs> any excuse yeah exactly <laughs> um, so that ties into your ambition and the the quote reads here you long to feel light to feel the wind in your hair to travel the seven seas you long to be free to wander the world if only you could feel joy you long to make your dreams not a reality but into even bigger dreams be the horse be the road god this is very um very, <laughs> a lot of metaphors and analogies Move your body buy the ticket spin the big wheel don't moan don't rage don't lie down and die jesus christ love it love it i don't think that's necessarily wrong i mean there's, there's a few too many metaphors in there than <laughs> like i get the idea i think um you know i i am better now at taking a chance on things than than i used to be i i mean i think part of the reason that i it took me so long to write the book that i did before the puries um and part of the reason it took me so long to you know leave my job and things i was you know i always used to be very risk averse um you know i so i got i ended up doing my job just out of the fact that i graduated from university in the in the last financial crisis mm-hmm. um so obviously there were no jobs i think i had I applied for 200 jobs i had 11 interviews and i still couldn't get a job so i ended up taking a job in admin um mm-hmm. and i was in a ludicrous amount of debt because i'd taken on a, a private loan to do my master's degree um so i got into this headspace where you know, I never quite had enough money. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was, I was living on sort of, you know, 30 pounds disposable income a month for yeah. a long time. Um, and that made me really, really nervous to take any risks ever. Um, and so that meant that by the time I, you know, got to the point where I was in my Saturn return, I 
didn't risk anything. And so writing The Fury for me was almost like, do you know what, I'm going to chance it. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I will give it a go. Um, you know, and it might, it might go nowhere. You know, I might, when I sent out the book to Juliet, I remember thinking like, if you could just pay off my credit card, you know, and no one reads it. Like, I'd like people to read it, but if I could just, you know, get like maybe, you know, two thousand pounds after tax, like just to get me out of debt, that would be yeah. amazing. You know? um, and I think since then, I've been way more inclined to just be like, do you know what? Give it a go. See what happens. You know, this PhD thing. I know. I remember interviewing with my supervisor, who's now my supervisor, um, and him being like, "What are you even doing? Why are you?" Here? <laughs> you have a book like why why would you do this but it's almost like well screw it like I want to do it you know I want to I, I want to do something that will, that will fulfill me and so you know why not <laughs> I'm far more inclined to do that nowadays than I used to be <laughs> beyond the the need for survival with money I think the other thing that prevents people from doing what they what their heart wants them to do is what other people think and that's something I didn't even realize I struggled with so much so when I um so I was in a, I was a HR coordinator at a restaurant group and I loved my um, colleagues. We got loads of free food all the time. We had great conferences <laughs> in amazing places. And yeah, yeah I, was, I was paid okay for my age. Yeah. Um, and then when I left, I took a, so I was about 23. No, I was 23 when I started that job, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was HR coordinator or HR administrator. And when I left, I became a receptionist but first I was a waitress at the Ivy and I remember about a week after I joined someone from my old company was in there eating when he saw me he was like what are you doing here and I was in a waitress's uniform like black and with a with an apron and I was so mortified and then I joined um a year later I joined a cinema company where I am now as a HR manager and a lot of people are um, who work in the cinemas they're amazing creatives like super successful artists uh, film directors producers and they make most of their money off their creative endeavors but then uh, nine to five or less than that they're they're workers at the cinema as ushers I think I just hadn't been exposed to the creative industry because I went to a grammar school and it all it was just ingrained into you that you you go into a corporate lifestyle so when I realized that no like these people if if someone asked them what they do it wouldn't be like oh I'm a cinema usher there's nothing wrong with that anyway (laughs) and no one actually cares why did I care that I was waitressing it didn't matter no no absolutely you have to sort of detach like the the you know your sense of self from that yeah you do the bills you know (laughs) and it's so freeing and now it's like oh I'll, I'll never care and I think lockdowns help with that because no one's going to judge anyone for stacking shelves. God, no. I would hope so. Because, you know, I had the same thing when, when I was working at MASH. You know, a lot of my, a lot of my um, staff were, like I say, actors. And, yeah. You know, they'd kind of be like, oh, I've got an audition for this next week. Or oh, I'm going off to do this. And, you know, like for me, that, it was, it was just a different way of living where it was almost a bit more risky, you know, because they, they couldn't guarantee that where they were going to be getting their next week's work from. You know, a lot of them were freelancers and things like that. And, I had a huge amount of respect for them, you know, for being able to do that because I tied up so much of my, you know, my sense of self in, you know, knowing that every month this much would land in my account and I would pay my rent and I would go yep. to work. You know? yeah. <laughs> Whereas going, you know, going freelance was, I mean, it took me a long time to do it. It was a year and a half after I got my deal that I, that I left my job because I was so afraid. Yeah. Of losing that money. <laughs> Yeah, using that security, but I, you know, I just, you know, I respected them so much for it, and I think that was, 
you know, sort of thought of them when I was taking the jump, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. Um, yeah, my, my girlfriend was like, if anything, I respect, because she also works in my company and she sees the, um, like she works with the, the creative guys in the cinemas and she's like, if anything, I respect them more because mm. they're not just, you know, succumbing to the system and they're doing what they want to do. And I was like, I never yeah. saw it like that. No, 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 no. It's so much more, it's so much more, so much so freeing, I think. Yeah, you know, my sister's the same. She's a musician, and she, you know, she works nine to five at a company that, you know, they they provide payroll for the NHS. You know? Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So she goes there nine to five. You know, yeah. she, she makes sure the doctors get paid, and then she goes off and you know makes it. She's doing, you know, she's got a new song out today. You know, so she just kind of does her does her music on the side, but it it seems to be really, you know, really nice balance for her. So. Oh, what's your sister? What's your sister's music? Uh, so she's Becky Rose. Um, she'll be on Spotify very soon, apparently. So you're Saturn in the third house. So Saturn in a Saturn in Sagittarius. That's kind of your personality traits and how that affects your Saturn return. But the third house is the areas it's meant to affect. Okay. So this is a slightly longer passage, and I find it this one the most interesting. <laughs> Saturn is serious, and Saturn will display its seriousness wherever it shows up in the birth chart. Saturn in the third house, then, is a seemingly contradictory match. The third house unadulterated, without the presence of Saturn, can be fast thinking and fast talking, the house of writing and communications, the house of business too. It's a busy house, it talks with its hands, sometimes non-stop. It can be a little wild in there. But Saturn in this house is going to make communication very serious, and possibly molasses slow. This placement can make a person quiet or silent, insecure about what they have to say. On the positive side, since the third house is the house of writing, Saturn in the third house will be good discipline for writers or those who dream of writing. It will be easy for them to plan out and structure their novels, poems, essays. They make outlines. They love outlines. On the other hand, their writing won't flow easily or randomly like someone with dreamy Neptune in the third house, and they probably won't embellish the facts like someone with Jupiter there. Saturn in the third house is a storyteller, but the stories are most likely the truth, the hard truth, and nothing but. A Saturn in the third house writer or thinker will have trouble being spontaneous. Their writings may be too bare bones because Saturn will remove any flourishes that can make writing fun to read. Saturn is not Venus. The ideal for a Saturn in the third house person is a job where they have to focus, where they can put that intense Saturnian concentration to work. Think scientist, researcher, writer or editor, organising thoughts and words. Now that's interesting because your book, in your book, you never ever find out really if, if I know you know what I'm referring to. I don't. Mm, really, yeah. <laughs> you never actually know if actually that's true or it's not. It's myth. Yeah. The kind of lines between myth and and uh, truth are blurred. So yeah, yeah. Would, would you agree with? I mean, for me, it, it sort of rings true because I, you know, I, I think I said this earlier. I never saw myself as a fiction writer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I. I always used to think that writing novels was you know like uh, witchcraft <laughs> yeah I, I how would you come up with something that wasn't true and you know sustain it for a hundred thousand words but um the furies so i i really wanted to skirt the line between um you know fantasy um which it sort of isn't but it, it has those you know there's elements in there um and you know and sort of straight down the line realism um and that for me is because, you know, I, I enjoy novels that, that sort of feel real. You know, for me, I, I have huge amount of respect for fantasy authors, but it's not a, it's not a genre that I read a huge amount of. Um, partly just because I, um, I like to read things that feel 
familiar. Um, and I don't necessarily mean familiar in a, um, you know, I don't just want to read about people like me. Um, but uh, it's almost like familiar in that same, you know, in a similar world. <laughs> yep. But I, with the Furies, you know, I, I wanted to kind of keep that, um, that sense of there are some things in life that you really just don't know. Um, and that to me is true. You know, there's some, some, um, you know, mysteries that you just don't ever quite solve. Um, and you have to kind of make your own mind up about those, you know, those things. And I think for me personally, that, that rings true about, um, a lot of things in my life. You know, I've had to just accept that I won't get answers on certain, <laughs> certain people and certain, you know, situations. And, you know, I have to, I have to kind of decide what I'm going to do with that information besides dwelling on it. Um, which is kind of what, you know, what fuels the end of the book. So there's, you know, there's, there's truth in that. And I know it's, it's been weird having the Furies out in the world because I've had so many friends from different parts of my life be like, is this about this? You know, so there's yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of situations that have been kind of um, not pulled from real life, but have some kind of, uh, you know, something. So were they right? <laughs> um, about half and half. I would say. <laughs> Do you find yourself having to strip back flourishes and quirks from your writing to, to stick to the bare bones or does your love of planning, as it says here, if that's true, <laughs> does that kind of uh, help you? Um, I, so I am terrible for having a plan and then deviating off it and then having to hack away <laughs> tons of things that went way off plan. You know, like the last, the, the book that's coming out next year, at one point, and I can't believe I cut it out now, but at, at one point that had a pandemic in it. Um, and the pandemic is... is, is I think you're psychic. Really weird. <laughs> like, I'm sort of, you know, I've, 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 uh, I sort of feel like I should, you know, go back to my publishers and be like, hang on, can I rewrite it? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the pandemic added absolutely nothing to the, to the plot, um, aside from making things a little bit spookier. Um, so I... I I am terrible for adding in pointless things in my plan um, and then having to take them back out again. So I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm almost a planner in the worst way because I plan and then I deviate from the plan and then I have to replan and then I do it all over again. <laughs> I love the planning more than I love the completing apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. That's the all or nothing. You're, you're a perfectionist, I guess, right? Terrible, isn't it? It's a yeah. nightmare. That's actually something I've had to work on a lot over the last couple of years. You know, you get, very used in publishing to, to people seeing half-finished work mm -hmm. and having you know, edits done on half-finished work, which before I think I would have been like, oh, God, this is the worst thing. <laughs> Whereas now, you know, I'm quite used to sending over something that's not quite done for some feedback. Um, you have to do the difficult first draft, don't you, which is meant to be rubbish. Like, just get the word out on the, on the pages. Yeah. Everything out and then then you can start perfecting it. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise nothing will get done. You'll have like one perfect chapter and then nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I've had that trouble, yeah. Saturn in the third house people also excel at jobs that require manual dexterity or hand-eye coordination. Saturn in the third house will stay on task, stay focused, has good hands and a great brain. At its best, Saturn in the third house is stable. They take the busy mind of the scattered third house and harness it. It puts it on a leash and it makes it behave. Saturn gives it something to do. And when Saturn is in charge of the mind itself, the entire life outlook is affected. The result then is someone who takes life seriously and we in turn take them seriously. As long as they can keep their moods balanced and their spirits uplifted, you'll find some of the most reasonable and emotionally healthy people of the whole zodiac.
At its worst, however, Saturn in the third house can express itself as dark moods and thoughts. The third house is associated with the mind, so Saturn in the third house is where we will find not just seriousness, but depression. Forget glass half empty, these natives don't have a glass at all. This isn't true for every Saturn in the third house, but the tendency is there for the mood to go dark and low and slow. Every natal Saturn in the third house should watch out for these times of dark clouds. Now, would you say after your Saturn return, you're more of the former or the, or the, the latter version of Saturn? Probably still oscillating between the two, to be totally honest. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at digging myself out of the, out of the low moods now. Um, but again, you know, I mean, so last year I was waiting for, I was waiting for nine months for some surgery um, and I couldn't walk during that period. And I, you know, I got so depressed <laughs> and I thought I'd kind of got over that. And then I, you know, I got, I got really depressed again. So I, you know, I know, I know I have an inclination to, to, you know, to kind of go down that um, everything is terrible route. <laughs> but I think, you know, I'm uh, one thing. So one thing that I, I seem to find myself saying a lot um, in you know, I've, I've done a few things now where some people have asked me about writing and how you how you write and how you find time to write and things like that. And, you know, I seem to say over and over again, you have to take yourself seriously. Like you can't, you know, before anyone else takes you seriously, you have to, you have to give yourself that credit. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that for me, you know, rings, rings true. Um, you know, I've always felt like you, with creative stuff, you know, there's, it's so easy to get disheartened and feel like you're not, um, you're not good enough or, you know, you, you're just right. You know, you're writing or you might be making songs that no one's ever going to hear or read or see, you know, and I think you have to kind of go, well, I'm going to commit to it anyway, you know, and I'm going to treat it like a job and I'm going to make sure that this happens because I value it and I, I, it's important to me. And so, you know, I think that's something that I learned during that period um, because I made that time to write the Furies and it, you know, it did kind of work. It ended up being a book, <laughs> but I, you know, that, that's one of the things that I seem to say as you know my number one piece of advice over and over again. So it's funny that that's you know that's come up. <laughs> I th I see it as like motivation for me in terms of if nothing ever gets picked up, mm. or if if your words kind of just don't ever make it is that so many people have um had their work found like after they've died essentially yeah. <laughs> and you could leave what like one bit of you behind that someone might yeah, pick yeah. up something that can immortalize just how you felt or have it written down that's yeah. enough yeah and the thing like i'm i'm like a textbook like person that's failed a bunch of times and then got got it got it done in the end you know because i um i had a non-fiction book on submission um in 20 uh 26 13 I want to say um and I met with four of the big six publishers they were then um because it was before Random House and Penguin merged and um mm -hmm. they all declined it you know I met went went all the way to meeting them and you know shaking hands with those people and then you know they would email Juliet to say yeah we are is, yeah but no right yeah <laughs> and that I took that so hard you know because I was like oh my god devastating the book deal was there but you know I just I must have done something that wasn't good enough you know um and then I did this, you know, this non-fiction book, uh, sorry, the first novel, and that was terrible. Uh, <laughs> but I had to do it in order to, you know, to learn how to write a novel. Um, I, even going back sort of 10 years, I applied for PhD funding, and I thought at that point my great dream in life was to become an academic, and I didn't get funding, and I couldn't afford to do it, and I was devastated. And my boyfriend broke up with me on the same day, so it was just a terrible day. When was that? <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't your set? <laughs> 
<laughs> when was that? Oh God, I was I was like twenty two. I was absolutely, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a big advocate of you know kind of keeping going through, you know, like things not working out because mm-hmm. for me. You know, I look back now and I think that nonfiction book was, you know, a lot about health. And I think had I sold that, I probably would have then been, you know, backed into this corner where, you know, a year after my health went to shit. Yeah. Um, and then what would, have, what would I have done? You know, I would have had a nightmare. Um, so, I, you know, I think I, I sort of, you know, I'm not to be all like everything happens for a reason about these things. But I do think every single one of those things that has gone wrong for me has paid off in the end. Yeah. That so, has a lot to do with your attitude towards it too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, if you, oh, I'll just read this last passage because I think we've said everything there is to say about this, but it, it's funny because it made me think of what you said earlier about arguing on Twitter. Another difficult manifestation of Saturn in the third house is meanness and cruelty. Remember that Saturn is authority. Saturn is in charge. And if you mix it up with the ace communication skills of the third house, the worst case scenario is verbal abuse. These are really two sides of the same coin, depression or negative self-talk versus lashing out. Many Saturn in the third house people need to learn to speak gently to themselves and to others. Dear Saturn in the third house, we know you have trouble looking on the bright side. Let us help you see the sun. You've spoken about having negative self-talk and then you had the serious fraud period once you had your book published. Have you ever experienced that but lashing out at other people? Oh my God, I'm... I, I like uh, my internal monologue of things I do not say. <laughs> so mean, you know. <laughs> like my so my sister, my sister. Um, obviously, we live together, and she she's constantly in hysterics about the fact that like I uh, like I manage to be a nice person in spite of <laughs> deep down being a horrible person. <laughs> wow, an acting degree too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know because sometimes I'll come out with you know I, and I won't I, I'll, I'll, I'll hear it the moment I've said it and be like oh my god that was awful but I'll say something in it and I won't mean it to sound horrible you know it's almost always about people's boyfriends don't know why that is probably because they've all got terrible boyfriends <laughs> but you know I'll come out with something and I you know it will be so cutting and so mean and I'll just think oh my god I'm so glad no one was around to hear that that's female rage it is you know and I think it's it's one of those it's one of those things where you know I I think you know I I know I know I have that side of me what what I tend to channel it into is you know I I obviously write um quite dark books (laughs) I find it unnervingly easy to write bad characters you know (laughs) so I think you know you have to you have to put that somewhere and also I think you know there's there's I I tend to you know I I tend to think um you know I you don't want to be all welly in about it and start thinking you know if you start having these thoughts you're a terrible person I think it's it's more about what you do you know like I I very rarely you know say anything horrible to anyone and if I do they've almost certainly you know provoked deserved it yeah (laughs) um it's just that when I do you know when when I get to that point I will snap um but you know as a rule you know if I think something like that I'll almost certainly also give myself a slap on the wrist and be like that was mean don't do that you know you're a cow so at least you're aware of it (laughs) yeah 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 and you know it's it's one of those things I think you you know you um (laughs) I think like working in you know writing about feminism and stuff like I think if you're not if you're not a little bit angry 
some of the time I think it's you know you're probably not not reading enough Mm -hmm. um and I think it doesn't hurt you know I mean I'm writing a whole chapter on not all men at the moment (laughs) and it doesn't do any harm to have a good witty retort obviously yeah yeah so I think it's you know I'm 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 using it for good (laughs) (laughs) so in terms of your entire Saturn return I've got two big questions number Mm. one what's the one thing you'd say you learned um that was of the most use to you and secondly, what advice would you give someone going through their Saturn return? Oh my God. Um, probably, uh, probably sort of forgive yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I think would be my big, my big piece of advice. You know, like for me, it's taken the form of forgiving, forgiving my body um, for, for not doing what I want to, um, forgiving myself for losing time um, to beating myself up, <laughs> you know, and not thinking I'm a good enough writer and not spending enough time on my writing and, you know, working too hard and all these other things. Um, you know, I think for me, you know, it was a, it was a weird, intense period. Um, but I, you know, I achieved a lot, but I also kind of learned a lot about, about how I respond to, to myself and how I kind of move through the world. And I think that's, you know, that was, that was massive for me. Um, and in, I think I think my advice would always be the same thing. You know, you have to you have to be patient with yourself. Um, you know, life is weird and unpredictable. I mean, none of us none of us saw this lockdown thing happening. No, you, know, you can't you can't plan for everything. And I think you have to you have to assume that sometimes things will get in the way, and you know you won't be able to do the things that you want to do or you know achieve the things that you want to achieve. But you know there are other positives that come out of it. You know, so for me being you know having my health issues meant that I was more inclined to spend time writing which meant that I you know wrote my book um and I quit my job and you know everything worked out well but I think you know even now with lockdown I'm I'm because of that mindset inclined to go okay well what can I what can I do that's nice out of lockdown you know so me and my sister have um we've been having a little party every Friday night on our own um you know there's videos of us dancing around in dinosaur costumes i saw that that was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a classic moment you know we did Couchella. um we, we're doing wayne's world tonight you know <laughs> we've we've sort of said like it's almost going to be sad when it ends for us and obviously you know it's a horrible situation it's been terrible but there's a certain part of us where we've we've spent so much time together and it's been so lovely that um we'll almost miss not not seeing each other quite so much so i think you know that's something i learned out of out of that period was you know trying to trying to find the bright side (laughs) yeah oh yeah for sure when this is back to normal we're going to be like oh do you remember that time when that we just got to be at home all the time oh my god yeah like when we got to you know like enjoy the sunset and the sunshine instead of being stuck at work and yeah um we had all that free time we got to spend time with our families if our families are nearby or you know yeah even you know i i'm having more in-depth conversations with people because everybody's got time to have a have an in-depth conversation yeah. now you exactly. know i think it's 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 been you know like i say there's there's obviously i don't mean to say you know that it's it's a good situation but i think you have to you have to find the positives in these things or you do go insane mm-hmm. if i hadn't been through my second return or was going through it and i listened to you talking about your experience it would 100 percent have made me feel better so thank you so much for chatting to me today oh it's been so fun thank you for having me that's it from thank you saturn today and a big thank you to katie for coming to chat with me you can find her on twitter and instagram at fat girl phd 
More thank yous to Eliza Einhorn for writing The Little Book of Saturn, Phil Donnelly for the jingle, and Ara Cho for the artwork. Don't forget to share and subscribe if you enjoyed, and you can listen out for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts by searching Thank You Saturn. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.